Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So reading from 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 8, and 25 to 35. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now about the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis... I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not as if they do not, those who mourn, as if they did not, those who are happy, as if they were not, those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or betrothed woman is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So you're all very welcome. Today we're looking at a vision for singleness or being single like Jesus. Uh, Leanne already used this quote and I set the talk up from last week. Chris Rock famously said, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? And what we're trying to do in the whole series is say, this is the message our culture says about sex and relationships. Let's tell you a way better story. And we have like, lost uh, the real sort of confidence as Christians in the historical biblical views of sex and relationships that God has given us in the scriptures. And we feel nervous because our culture gives such a different message. And we're saying, no, we've got a better message. And let's get back to the heart of this better, better message. We're not stuck with this rock and a hard place. That if I get married, it's all kinds of sacrifices and costs and commitments and boredom. And my spouse will no longer bring joy to my life. And if I'm single, then I'm lonely and unfulfilled. We want to challenge that assumption. You see, what's interesting, our culture is so obsessed with sex and relationships, but we're lost. So the challenge for, the, for people today is they don't want to make the decisions to, to narrow down their choices in life. You know, we're paralyzed by choice. We, we want to stay free. And so there was an interesting TED Talk, if you're into TED Talks, talking about, the, from this lady called uh, Meg Jay, talking about the, the, the 30 is not the new 20. And she talks about how the average 20-year-old, particularly men, are putting off decisions that previous generations had made in their 20s. 
And uh, now that a lot of young people don't want to make those decisions. They don't want to be responsible for their lives. They don't want to narrow down their choices. They, want to leave, they don't want to leave their childish ways behind. They want to remain independent. They want to remain free without realizing they're often hurting people around them and kind of delaying their life. And so the 30 is now the new 20. You sort of put off all those decisions. And so we, our, our culture is obsessed with sex and relationships, but we have in a bit of a crisis. If I'm single, I'm lonely, and if I'm married, I'm bored. Last week I said, no, if you're married, this is an amazing vision the Bible gives of helping one another in this spiritual friendship become like Jesus and help the world come to know Jesus. And today we're going to think about singleness. Singleness is not this about keeping independence. Man, what a terrible vision for singleness. Singleness isn't, I'm going to keep my independence and remain selfish and immature. If you want to keep your independence, that's what that kind of decision is. And it's not subhuman. It's not grim. It doesn't have to be unfulfilled. It's not like I'm in this hopeless state as I wait for marriage, as if singleness hasn't got a value. One person put it like this. Many experience their single status as a burden, a wasteful holding pattern before finding someone and getting on with real life. For many people, singleness has become a strong identity, but without a sense of vocation. And, we, and the Bible says singleness should be a strong identity with a huge sense of vocation, a huge sense of calling. Um, so singleness we're going to see today again is like marriage, is about knowing Jesus more, sharing Jesus more, becoming more like him witnessing to the satisfaction and union we have with him and joining God's adventure of bringing that wholeness and satisfaction that he brings into the lives of others. Now, the obvious question is, Steve, why are you a married man doing a talk on singleness? Good question. You know, you don't know anything of my pain. You don't know any of my wrestling, my loneliness, my hurting, my anxiety about the future, my anger at God. You don't understand. How dare you give a talk? And that's a good, good challenge, and we will look for a single person and and there wasn't one to give the talk. So I'm doing it here. But afterwards, Louise is going to do a Q&A about her experience of being single. So let me give you 20 minutes on the principles of the Scripture, which we can all get our heads around. And then uh, Louisa will come and unpack it and what it looks for her life and how she trusts God and how she makes wise decisions. So 1 Corinthians 7 is the longest treatment in the Bible on singleness. And it's a complicated passage. It was written by a single man, the Apostle Paul, following in the footsteps of a single man, Jesus, the most relationally and filled man that has ever lived on this earth, the most satisfied man that's ever walked the earth, was a single man, Jesus. And so Paul uses a phrase that is totally unheard of in his culture. He says this, I say this as a concession. He's writing to a church in Corinth, and there's a crisis going on, and, and it's causing lots of pressures. And, and in essence, the marrieds want to be single, and the singles want to be married. That's the simplest way to understand the background to 1 Corinthians 7. So some are going, I'm single, I just want to be married. Some are going, I'm married, I just want to be single. And Paul says, hey, calm down, stay where you are. And he says, as I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish all of you that I were as I am, Paul's single, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. What Paul did here, what Jesus modeled in his own life, is that singleness is not subhuman, lesser state where you're destined to loneliness, mediocrity, or independence and immaturity. It is in fact, do you see the word? Do you see it? A gift. Now I'm sure many of you are going, singleness is a gift? And they thought that in the ancient world too, and we'll come to why. 
There's a lady called Paige uh, Benton Brown. She wrote this brilliant article. Google it. Brilliant article. Uh, singled out by God for good. And she says, you know, a lot of in Christian circles, she says there's a lot of bad reasons, a lot of why people say you're single. So one of them is that, you know, she says, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As if it was God's blessing that, you know, once you're satisfied in him, then you'll, you'll be ready for marriage. She says, no. She says, oh, you're too picky. As though God is frustrated with your fickle whims and needs broader parameters to work with. Or she says, as a single, you can't commit wholeheartedly to the Lord's work, as though God requires emotional martyrs to do his work, of which marriage must be no part. And fourthly, she says, you know, bad reasons she's heard, is because you can marry someone wonderful. Uh, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make, make you someone wonderful. You know, one of those cheesy lines, you want to punch that person? As though God grants marriage as a second blessing to satisfactory sanctification, like holiness. And so what she says is, you know, and there's just four she gives. Like, we often give wrong answers as to why people are single and, and, and what singleness means. And it ends up being this deprived state for people not fully formed for marriage. It's plan B for the Christian life. So she concludes this from 1 Corinthians 7. Accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to list our whys, but rather on celebration of the life he has given. I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I'm single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. Another lady, Carolyn McCauley, puts it like this. Ultimately, we're single because that's God's will for us right now. It's a gift. It's not because we're too old, too fat, too skinny, too tall, too short, too quiet, too loud, too smart, too simple, too demanding, or too anything else. It's not wholly because of past failures or sin tendencies. It's not because we're one race when many of the men around us are of another. It's not because uh, the men we know lean towards passive temperance. It's not because there are more women in the church I go to than men. Though perhaps these seem like valid reasons, they don't trump God's will. One look at marriages we know or the ones announced in the newspaper will assure us that these factors are present in many people's lives and they still got married. We are single today because God apportioned us today singleness as a gift. So the Bible says singleness is a gift from God and any gift from God who's a good father is not to hurt us but to bless us. It's not to make us miserable but to give us joy. It's not an expression of harshness but an expression of goodness. Now like the modern world, the ancient world heard this idea of singleness as a gift, it would have been a shock. Um, as I said, Jesus, a single man, most relationally and, 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 and full man that ever lived, and Paul wrote this passage in Corinth, to, to the church in Corinth, was a single man. And when they said singleness was a gift, it was countercultural. Ancient religions and cultures made an absolute out of family and bearing children. Without family, without children, there is no honor. There is no lasting significance or legacy without leaving heirs. You know, that's the ancient worldview. Without children, you essentially vanish. You have no future. Without children, there's no hope, and you're to live a single life is, is to be full of shame. If you know this, I, I encourage you to read it. Four beautiful chapters, the book of Ruth. Amazing about two single women, Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi's husband had died, 
and her now her two sons have died, and so she's not going to have any heirs, and she has this life of shame and challenge ahead of her, and she calls herself bitter as a result. She's living in that Jewish and ancient worldview of going, I have no hope for the future because I have no heirs. And, uh, and Ruth and Boaz come to the rescue, if you know the story. A future without children was a future without hope. Barrenness was part of shame for an ancient Jewish lady. Um, and the pressure in the first century was no less in the Roman culture. Believe it or not, Caesar Augustus actually had widows fined if they failed to marry within two years. But the church in the first century sustained poor widows, 1 Timothy 3 and 4 and 5, allowing them the choice as to whether they should marry or not, because singleness was a gift, just as marriage was a gift. And so a theologian I quoted last week, Stanley Hauerwas, argues that Christianity was the first religion that held up singleness as a viable way of life. The fact that the founder was single and the most true human that ever lived was utterly shocking. So why did the church hold this view that singleness was a gift? Look what Paul says, I'll read it again. Uh, are you pledged to a woman? You know, this is this idea that they're trying to get out of their situation. Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if, you're, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you from this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. He's putting life in its context of eternity. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they are not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if they're not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Paul teaches what theologians call the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. It's hugely important to get, a, get, your hand, get your head around this. The kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus. He was the king and he's brought God's kingdom. He's inaugurated it. And so there's healing, there's wholeness, there's forgiveness, there's a relationship with Christ. There can be physical healing in this world. There can be all kinds of things. But in Christ, we have received a new kingdom of wholeness and blessing and justice. And, uh, and you enter the kingdom by repentance and faith and by proclaiming Jesus as king. But the kingdom is not yet as well. And there's still suffering, there's still death, there's still pain. The passage that Leanne read, Revelation 21, hasn't become a reality. There's still tears of sadness. There's loneliness and evil. There's still pretenders to the throne who are trying to kick Jesus off. There's still darkness to fight. One day when Jesus comes again, Leanne read the passage, justice will finally be over the whole earth. Darkness will end. Evil will be destroyed. Death will be destroyed. And when that day comes, it says the glory of God is going to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And the kingdom that we experience in part now it's going to be one day in full, and it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be forever, and there'll be no more crying, and no more weeping, and no more loneliness, and no more death and decay. So the kingdom is now and not yet. We live in the now and not yet. It's come now, but it's not come fully. It's not here yet, but we have part of it. And, and the Bible, the New Testament says the Holy Spirit is our down payment, our deposit of all that's to come. So we now can taste and enter and, and sense the wonders of this kingdom. And we get moments of utter joy and, and peace and, and, and clarity and relational richness through the church. And we go, oh, I'm getting a glimpse. It's just a glimpse, but I'm getting a glimpse. This kingdom is beautiful. I can't wait for it to be full one day. And in our bodies, you know, when we experience death, you say, I want a body that doesn't die. And God says, yeah, that's coming. So we live in the overlap of the ages. 
the present evil age, which is passing, but not fully passed, and the kingdom of God, which has come, but not fully come. And our job now is to spread the kingdom of God on earth before the day of Christ's return. That's the job of the church. Okay, big picture theology. Zoom in, singleness. What does it mean to be single in the overlap of the ages, that now and not yet of the kingdom? It means this, don't be engrossed in the things of this world. Actually, it's the same for married people. Like, don't ever have all your hope in this world, Paul says. That's what he's talking about. He says, like, don't get so lost in it. Don't lose your perspective. This world is passing, and there's a new one that's coming. Singleness and marriage are good conditions to be in if you understand the overlap of the ages, because you can be useful. So Tim Keller puts it like this. We should be neither overly elated by getting married, nor overly disappointed by not being so. Because Christ is the only spouse that can truly fulfill us, and God's family, the only family that will truly embrace and satisfy us. So the New Testament, therefore, holds up marriage and singleness as a wonderful gift from God to be used for his purposes in the overlap of the ages. But it also de-idolizes both and says, for those that are making an idol out of marriage, it says, no, 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 one day you're not going to have earthly marriage. Your earthly marriage is going to be replaced by the marriage. That was last, last week's talk. And for those that are single and maybe make independence an idol, it reminds us, no, your singleness is to be used for good. And one day, and even now in part, you are married to Christ. And that union with Christ will one day be fully experienced. So for Christian women in the first century who remained single into adult life and men, they were bearing testimony that God, not family, was their hope. That Jesus, not a husband or a spouse, was their future security, significance, and joy. And they believed that God would guarantee their future, first by giving them the church, the truest family, so they never lacked brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, aunties, uncle, and later God would give them the new heavens and the new earth, and every desire they had, sexual, relational desire, whether married or single, one day all those desires would be fully met and better met than we ever expected in the new heavens and the new earth. So just as marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church, so singleness is supposed to witness that we are waiting not for a man or a woman, but we're waiting for our true spouse when he returns and our union is complete and the kingdom has fully come and every desire is fully met. And Paul says, so don't get too engrossed in this world because we're living for that day. Experience it in part now as you know him and experience it one day Fully use this time wisely because it won't be here forever. So how does, how does Paul apply that to the single person? Well, in chapters 12 to 14, a few chapters on in, from 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about spiritual gifts, which is actually a bad translation. It's a, grace gifts. The idea is more on the giver and his grace rather than the gift and the gifts that have been freely given. And so Carolyn, Carolyn McCulley says this, it's not a gift talking about singleness, it's not a gift that we're to spend time trying to identify, that we should worry about having. If we're single, we have the gift of singleness graciously given. How we feel about it, do I like being single? Do I desire marriage? It's not part of the equation. The emphasis here is on the gracious God who gives good gifts and ultimately on his purposes. And as you read the rest of 1 Corinthians about gifts from God, they're to be used Whatever your gift is, don't get worried like, oh, my. think about how you can give it and think of the giver who's given it you for a reason. 
And so Paul goes on to talk about unique opportunities that single people have, that married people don't have, for building up the kingdom of God. I won't read the whole passage again, but he talks about how, you know, if you're, if you're a married person, you're kind of divided in your loyalty, and there can be hindrances to doing things. But if you're single, you, you can be fully devoted to God, and there can be no hindrances there. Now, of course, a healthy marriage should have a sense of together on the front foot, but it's complicated still. Whereas the singleness, you take out that complication. You don't have to be concerned with what your spouse wants or needs. You can just be concerned about what God wants. There's undivided attention to God. There's flexibility that a married person doesn't have in terms of time and resources. So do you see the emphasis that Paul wants a single man, following in the footsteps of a single man, says, how can you use the gift you've been given now, singleness, to help others? Paul is not talking about some stress-free state Paul may well have experienced what we call today an emotional struggle with his singleness. He might have wanted to be married, but he knew he had to capitalize on the gift that he had been given in that moment. Tim Keller summarizes like this, Consider then that the single calling Paul speaks of is neither a condition without any struggle, nor, on the other hand, an experience of misery. It is fruitfulness in life and ministry through the single state. What is this, the gift of singleness? Fruitfulness in life and ministry through the single state. Now, since God gives most people the gift of marriage, eventually, not all, some people are called to a life of singleness, most are called for a temporary time of singleness. It's not wrong to seek marriage. It's not something we should despise. You should not, therefore, have to exclude it from your prayers if you have been given the gift of singleness right now. Again, the book of Ruth. You've got this man, Boaz, a man of integrity and a man of um, generosity. He uses his singleness magnificently. He makes a load of money. He has a really great job. He employs as many people, and he cares for the poor, and he treats his workers right. And he obviously uses singleness very effectively. And you've got Ruth, this amazing woman of um, courage and, um, and servant-heartedness who dramatically narrowed down her choices for her husband by following her, widow back, her, her widowed mother-in-law, because she was from Moab, back to Israel. Very unlikely to get a husband. But she did it out of love and devotion to her mother-in-law. So both of them used their single state so well. They had a vision for their single state. They weren't waiting around. But then they found, when they did find one another, it was because of, we looked at it last week, comprehensive attraction. They were attracted to the character, not just the externals. They use their gift well. So let me close up the principles, do a quick bit of application, and then we'll do the Q&A with Louisa. Point one, singleness is a gift. It's a good gift from a good father. For now, it's what he desires for you. Two, The context of the gift is the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We're not to make an idol out of marriage nor out of singleness. We're to put our hope in God and our union with Jesus, which is in part now and one day fully. If you're married, you're going to be single, earthly-wise. If you're single, you already are married and one day fully. It's a gift. The context is the overlap of the ages. The focus of the gift is fruitfulness in life and ministry because you have an undivided attention to your heavenly spouse. You can serve his purposes on earth. The timing of the gift is today. Today, if you are single, it's the gift you've been given. And seek first his kingdom. It's not wrong to desire marriage or look for it. But while you are single, serve his purposes. 
Four points of application, really quick. First one, get your identity right. You're a Christian first. In that great article page, Benton puts it like this. Am I a Christian single or a single Christian? The discrepancy in grammatical construction may be somewhat subtle, but the difference in mindset is profound. Which word is determinative and which word is descriptive? Are we, you see, we singles are chronic amnesiacs. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. I am a single Christian. My identity is not found in my marital status, but my redemptive status. I love that. My identity is not found in my marital status, but my redemptive status. I am one of the haves not one of the have-nots. So for each of us, you're Christian before you're black or you're white, you're Christian before you're American or European, you're Christian before you're Irish or, or English or whatever else, you're Christian before you're married and you're single. We're Christian first. That's our identity. Jesus is our satisfaction and our joy and our hope. Remember your identity always for, Christian, for singles and marrieds. Secondly, lean into the family. One of the signs that you're in a family or in a deep friendship, and we talked about friendship three weeks ago, is that someone says to you, I've got your back. You need something, I've got your back. You need someone to cry on, I've got your back. You need to move house, I've got your back. You need to talk, I've got your back. Something happens to you, financial difficulties, moving house, getting ill, I've got your back. The church should be a bunch of people that say to one another, I've got your back. I don't know what the next five years is going to hold, but if we're in the same church. We're going to say to each other, I'm with you. I'm for you. Let's fight together. If you need someone to fight for you, I will. And so that's why we prioritize city groups and life groups. Relationships can take time. They can take time to form that depth, but persevere. We want the church here to be a family, and we want you to lean into it. We want this church to become a cross-gen, to be, to, to be a church where there is cross-gender enrichment that I have brothers and sisters who know me, love me, care for me, look after me, speak truth to me, surprise me, pray for me, cook for me, challenge me, confront me, share their chocolate with me, a whole lot more. I want brother, I want you to do that to me, and I hope you want me to do that to you, and I hope we do that for one another. My relational needs are met in Christ and his family as much as they are in my marriage. The church is a place where we are relationally full as we learn and discover and get to know one another. As I said, it can take time. That's why you've got to invest. Go back and revisit the talk on friendship I did a few weeks ago. So here's a, there's an application for those that are married. Just an application. If you are married, search out singles. Invite them over. Have them for dinner. Take them out when you go out as a family. Get them playing with your kids. Find out what they like to do. Don't, if you're in a relationship and you may not be married, don't, don't, get, it, don't get lost in the selfishness of your, your infatuation with one another. Use your relationship for the kingdom. Use your marriage for the kingdom. Of course, marriage has to have moments and relationships where you spend time with one another, but that's only some of the time. Use your relationship to bless others and to have singles over and to love them and to feed them and to get their advice and to share, take them on holiday, all kinds of things. Let's be a church that welcomes and blesses those, whether we're married or single. Thirdly, seek opportunities to serve. If you are single, this is probably what the gift is primarily about. You have time and resources that a married person won't have, fruitfulness in life and ministry. So ask yourself the question, what can I do as a single person that a married person might not be able to do? Because they're married. 
what can I do that maybe a married person can't do or they might find hard to do because they're married, but as a single person, I can actually do it. Where am I gifted and what passions do I have and, and what time does my singleness give me? Not to waste it on myself, but to serve God's purposes on earth. Pursue it, love God, bless others, build the church, extend the kingdom, use your gift wisely and well. And fourthly, seek marriage if you desire it and want it. I said this in, in, uh, in, in, in last week's um, uh, talk. You know, it's fine to ask God for a marriage partner. It's fine to say, God, this is what I would like. Ruth and Boaz, again, are great examples. You know, Ruth clearly wanted a husband, and eventually God provided one for her. But never make marriage ultimate. Make Jesus ultimate. The best bit of advice I got when I was a single guy was run as fast as you can towards Jesus and see who's running alongside, which is kind of the heart of spiritual friendship, right? Run towards Jesus, and he's your common point of interest, and oh, look who's next to me, uh, and find him to be your true spouse. And if you do want to seek marriage, again, Ruth and Boaz, they had a vision for singleness. They used their singleness brilliantly. Keep that. They looked for that comprehensive attraction in one another of spiritual friendship, of inner beauty, not just external beauty. They didn't rush in. If you know the story, they really didn't rush in. They had to delay it. So don't rush in. Keep yourself sexually pure and wait till the relationship has been tested by challenges and time. Fourthly, invite the church family to input if you want to get married. Ensure friends are giving you advice on who you're, who you're dating and, what, and, and you're getting good people to input you. Tim and Kathy Keller put it like this, our personal experience is too easily skewed. The church community has many married people in it who have much wisdom for single people to hear. Singles should get community input at every step of the way in seeking marriage. Don't make such a huge decision without having an honest conversation with a few good Christian friends. And fifthly, don't fear commitment. If you want to go for it, go for it. And if that, mean, if that reveals an emotional and, uh, and spiritual flabbiness, that you desire your independence, and all, let God refine you as that scares you, and he helps you overcome that. So look, thanks for listening. Why don't I pray, and then I'm going to invite Louisa up here, and we're going to do a bit of a, a Q&A on this. So uh, yeah, if you're comfortable, just... Yeah, close your eyes, we'll have a moment's silence, then I'll pray. Father, we thank you that Christianity is always countercultural. We thank you that Jesus, you are founder, uh, came and lived a single life on earth that was relationally rich and fully satisfied. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote much, if not most, of the New Testament, a single man who served your purposes and you a joy and a richness relationally because he was pursuing you, his true spouse. I pray for those of us that are married here that we get really good at including and welcoming and loving singles and, and all kinds of people in different states, that we wouldn't become this nuclear family or nuclear couples that just protect ourselves, but we open ourselves up to others. And I pray for those that are single here today, however they're finding that single state, that they would see that it is a gift for now and uh, that they would seek you for all that they need for that gift and seek to serve you and find a freedom and a joy in it. Um, and for those that want to get married and a single, Lord, we pray you give them that wisdom about how to go about that. And uh, we thank you for the examples of people like Ruth and Boaz who did such an, a, a great job in both their singleness and in their married state. And so, Lord, make us a church that is relationally rich and deep and supportive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so welcome up, Louisa.
so, thank you, Louisa, for doing this. Uh, how long have you been single? Uh, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years? Yeah. Have you had lots of dates? <laughs> uh, a few. A few. <laughs> Bad ones, good ones? Uh, yeah, mixed. Mixed. Yeah. Okay, we'll get on to that. <laughs> uh, good. Um, so, tell us, what are the opportunities singleness gives you? Uh, having amazing friendships. So I have some very, very good girlfriends um, who've been with me through lots of different seasons and me them and have time to invest in them. And yeah, I'm really blessed by them. Um, have opportunities to serve Jesus um, that maybe I wouldn't if I was married. So um, babysitting or, <laughs> you know, um, serving the, the couples um, of the church and also um, just having a bit more flexibility, like you said, freedom to sort of do things where I have a bit more time. Um, ease of making decisions. <laughs> so um, when there's just me to think about, I can easily um, ask God and make decisions. So for example, moving to Ireland was very simple because it was just me to think about mm. um, and, you know, following the call of God. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, I suppose extra time to do things that I like doing. So, um, personally, investing in my faith and reading and get to spend lots of time with Jesus, <laughs> which I actually am loving right now. So, being a student and working part-time, I get so much time with Jesus, and um, I feel really blessed by that. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you. So, uh, tell us some of the challenges that you've had being single. Uh, talking about it. <laughs> talking about it in front of 50 yeah. people, 60 people. <laughs> yeah. So tell us why, why, can, why can talking about it be hard or how is sometimes church not helpful in that context? Um, I think it's a subject we don't really talk about very well. Mm. Um, I also think uh, there can be sort of shame around singleness. So um, maybe, I mean, I know in the past I've felt a bit ashamed that I've been single mm. and like there's something wrong with me or, you know, I don't have the affirmation of a man, so that makes me less of a person. Mm. Um, and, like, you emailed me to ask me to do this Q&A, and you're very sensitive in your email. We hadn't spoken about it before. And it just kind of s said to me, you know, it's not something we know how to bring up very often. And even friends don't really sort of ask about it. Oh, how are you doing? Mm. You know? um, yeah, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I just think sometimes it's a challenge. Mm. And you mentioned the word shame there, mm. and uh, you had a bit of a breakthrough on this just this summer, and that sense of understanding mm. that and realising some of your feelings and emotions towards it. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, so I think um, for a long while I'd just sort of been in this perpetual cycle of feeling ashamed of, you know, I had lots of first dates um, and not many second dates, <laughs> and I always thought, oh, you know, it's something I've done, or what have I said, or, you know... I felt very ashamed, um, and I was actually listening to a series um, on, it was called Removing Rocks, it was this sermon series, and there were lots of different um, topics, and there was like fear, and there was pride, and I was like, yep, need to listen to that, need to listen to that, and there was one on shame, and I actually thought, oh, I probably don't need to listen to that, mm. um, and so I passed that one by, and then um, I used to pray with uh, some women on Tuesday mornings, and I remember one particular morning, We'd all been praying, and I left the meeting feeling this kind of knot in my stomach. And I was like, what is that? It's just this kind of, it was this, a feeling I knew, but I, I wasn't really sure what it was. 
So I prayed, and I said, God, what is that? And I just felt like he, he said shame. <laughs> I was mm. like, oh, maybe I should listen to that podcast. <laughs> um, and I realized there was all these different things that I felt ashamed about. And it wasn't something I could put my finger on. It wasn't necessarily a feeling I knew. Mm. Um, and that really helped me to sort of be self-aware mm. of those things. And actually to know Jesus isn't shaming me. Mm. He doesn't, like, you know, when I say something, he doesn't, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Mm. You know, that's not his voice to me. And I think that's really helped me to understand, like you said just now, like being single isn't because... I've done something wrong, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not pretty enough. Or, you know, it's because it's God's gift, and um, I can rejoice in that. Mm, yeah. That's great. Tell us about, um, you talk about, like, uh, uh, um, when we were preparing for this, you about comparisons, and how yeah. it's easy to compare. So talk, talk to us mm. about that. Yeah, so one of the challenges as well um, is comparing my life to others, and, um, you know, I th- I think that really dishonors Jesus um, because if I'm looking at a family or if I'm looking at a couple and say, you know, saying, oh, they've got this great life and then looking at myself and be like, oh, you know, I, I want that. Actually, that's saying that I'm not living the best life that Jesus has for me now and um, it steals my joy in what God's given me right now. Um, so, yeah, I think it's quite easy as well to do that and you don't realize that you're comparing mm. um but i know that like, god's given me the gift of singleness for now and and comparing myself just doesn't help mm. and talk to us about uh, you know surrendering and that wrestle mm. sometimes you have and you know wanting to take control and mm. i guess not accept the gift or however <laughs> you put it yeah yeah so um yeah over the years i said i've had lots of first dates and um there's been times when i've liked people and I think I've thought, okay, this is actually God's will, so I'm going to make it happen. And um, actually taking control and trying to manoeuvre things, and um, it just makes it quite a stressful process. <laughs> and, um, you know, sometimes I don't like the fact that I'm single, and sometimes I find it hard. Um, but just surrendering my life to Jesus and saying, you know, you know best. And I've seen, I've seen throughout my life, like Jesus so, so does know the best thing for me. Yeah. And I feel so privileged that he's got me on this journey. And I can look back now and I, I'm so thankful that, you know, a lot of those first dates didn't turn into second dates. I'm so thankful that he's brought me to Ireland and that he's given me work to do here. And, and I can... Um, yeah, I can serve him in the way that I can now because I'm I'm single. Mm. So let's get on to the church. Uh, how can the church, and you know, I guess what have been your some of the pros and some of the cons of how church has supported you as a single person? Obviously, this one you're mm. fairly new to, but and obviously previous. Mm. So I don't think I can really speak for everyone um, with this question, um, but I just I just keep pointing this to Jesus. Mm. Um, so whenever I'm, I mean. In the church, you can have a lot of advice, and people have told me, you know, maybe you should go to other churches where there's more men. <laughs> um, maybe you should go online dating. Or, you know, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with online dating or, or whatever, or trying to make it happen, but um, I just feel like the best thing that c- you can do as a church is point us to Jesus and yeah. just show us that he is my treasure and he's the one 
that will ultimately satisfy me. Um, and actually, when I'm looking at Jesus, the things that the world tries to put on me, the things that um, the world says, oh, you know, you're single and lonely and you're rubbish if you're single. Mm. Um, just, they seem to not have as much power mm. on my life. Mm. And you also mentioned... Um you know, some you know don't give advice. That was one of the things when <laughs> we were talking about it. Don't give all these. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. Yeah. But there was also you said other times. You know, don't speak and just sometimes we need a shoulder to cry on, and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. You know, talk to us about that. Yeah. So I think um, as a as a single person, we do lean into the family and do rely on the family. And um, my last church were really good at just sometimes just listening. Mm. And you know, when I wanted to like pour out my heart and, you know, say I'm finding it really hard and, or, you know, just had another rejection or something, you know, just having, having people to, like, listen and care um, was, like, really important mm. to me. Mm. Great. Um, now, you mentioned this in part, but, uh, again, part of you, th- th- this summer, there was some, uh, Song of Songs was very helpful and mm. this idea that Jesus is your true spouse. So, talk to mm. us about, again, some of the breakthroughs you've had in, in that area. Yeah, so I was on retreat um, this summer, and um, I actually, I just felt the Lord lead me to read Song of Songs, and um, oh, yeah, he's just incredible. <laughs> um, just the picture of him being my husband, and um, like one glance of my eyes overwhelms him. <laughs> I've captivated his heart, and he he's just the best husband I could ever ask for and um, it, it, I think being on retreat and being away uh, you know my, I couldn't use my phone no wifi no signal and just it was almost as if the bible was really alive and he was speaking to me through it and there's a verse um, in chapter 8 that says um, and then I was in his eyes as one who had peace mm. and um I just realized, like, Jesus' eye is never off me. Mm. He's always looking at me. He desires me, and he's looking after me and cares for me, and that gives me real peace Mm. um, to know the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, loves me like that. Mm. That's great. Um, So do you want to be single? (laughs) No. (laughs) So so tell us, you know, what does it mean then to accept the gift, but you don't want to be single, and how do you navigate that? And if you were, you know, looking for a husband, what would you look for? <laughs> this is not because it's like, you know, <laughs> blind date here. And, it's, and behind the screen we have, you know. But, uh, but no, but how do you navigate that? You want to get married, but you're mm. not. And you've been given the gift of singleness for now. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I do feel really blessed to be in this season. And, you know, I'm happy um, being single, but it's not the... I, you know, I don't desire to stay in this season. Um, and I would like to learn about love, you know, learn about sacrificial love and um, hopefully encourage and bless someone and um, be in that partnership. Um, so, yeah, like it's a, it's a kind of now, not yet, you know, happy to be where I am, but don't desire. And, you know, that's not reflected in my prayer life. You know, I do pray for my husband. Um, what am I looking for? <laughs> Um, someone who loves Jesus. And someone, <laughs> someone who can watch rugby, you said to <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I used to write lists, which is quite funny. <laughs> I think like most girls have li- written lists of prayers. Like, I want this, I want this, I want this. Um, and as I've, 
as I've gone through life and been single for longer, the list has just got shorter and shorter. Yeah. And actually, um, really, the only thing that I, I think is important is that someone loves Jesus and wants to serve them. And, and that's actually the thing that I find most attractive yeah. in a man. And you know, I've been on dates with people who don't love Jesus, and that's just... I just don't think there's anything there. Um, yeah. And how do, you, how do you feel about the waiting? You know, so if you want and you're not, then now and you're not yet. And you know, I guess we'll come to it in a minute. You know, what happens if God called you to a life of singleness? But in the, in the waiting, mm. how, how do you think about waiting? So um, God spoke to me through Psalm 27, verse 14, um, a little while ago. Um, it says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And he really spoke to me and showed me that waiting is actually really courageous, that it's not something passive that, um, you know, our culture says, oh, you know, grab life by the hand. You, know, you, you can only make life what you want it to be. And actually waiting on the Lord is a courageous thing and trusting him for, for my life. Um, you know, and I, I really took courage from that. Um, and also just that I can rest in this time and um, not feel like I have to control it and take it into my own hands. So, so if God called you to a life of singleness, how do you feel about <laughs> that? Um, there have actually been times where I've been like so in love with Jesus. I was thinking a man would be like a really unnecessary distraction. Um, and um, I actually, like I said, I pray for, prayed with these women on Tuesday mornings and there was one woman who... Um, who would always pray for a husband for me and um she was wonderful and on one Sunday morning I was so filled with the Holy Spirit and just so in love with Jesus I, I went up to her and I was like Brenda I think we've been praying for the wrong thing <laughs> and um you know there have been times where I've been so um you know wrapped in his love like in the summer as well um but I do know that I think I find that hard, and um, it would be quite a difficult path to walk um, if that was a permanent thing. Um, but I do know that he would help me with that, and he would give me a real joy in that time. Um, and like I told you, um, I had I was on a plane from Sydney to Adelaide um, in January, actually going to see one of my great friends, and you know that's a privilege. I could go and see her and just spend two weeks with her, just because she's my friend. Mm. And um, I was on the flight from Sydney to Adelaide to see her, and I was reading a book by Pete Gregg, and I can't even remember what it said in the book. <laughs> I was just reading it, and just suddenly was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, and realised how good God has been to me um, in the last sort of six years that my parents divorced and it's been a really tough time and I walked through um, quite a, a deep dark valley um, and it was just me and the Lord like holding hands and walking through together and I just started crying <laughs> and on I was plane. crying on a plane mm. thankfully the guy next to me was asleep it was an early morning yeah. flight so I was fine um, and because my friend that I was going to see um, she'd had similar difficulties with her family and I just realized in that moment how good God had been to me, giving me like a, a deep valley to walk through, knowing that I could, you know, and, and in that time it brought me closer to him. And I, I said to him, that I was like, God, if you want to give me another five years of hard valleys to walk through, 
I'll take it. Like, I just want to know you. And actually, it's the biggest blessing to be on a journey with God. And, you know, through those hard times, he really does give us joy. And so, you know, if, if my heart's desire wasn't met and if God's plan for me is to be single, I just know that there would be much joy in that. Amen. Wow, mm. should we give a big round of applause? Thank you. That's great. Louise is going to finish our service by praying for us all, and then uh, we're going to game time, so go for it. Thank you, Lord, for being Lord. (laughs) Holy Spirit, we just want to praise you. We just praise you for being God and for being Lord over our lives. I pray that you would come and be with us now and speak to our hearts, whether we're married or single. Lord, that you would uh, deposit more of your joy in us, that you would give us more opportunities to serve you. And yeah, I do pray for Christ City Church, that you would bless the families of this church, that you would bless marriages, that they would grow and develop and be strong and fruitful for your name, Lord Jesus. And I pray for anyone who's single or dating Lord, I pray that that you would help them to know joy in this season, that they would know freedom from shame, that there'd be no shame, I pray against shame in the name of Jesus, and I pray um, just for a real freedom and um, knowing of your love, that this is the best that you could give them right now, and we thank you, Lord, I thank you for my singleness, I thank you that I to share about it, Lord, and I thank you for Steve and for Leanne leading this church so well. And we just pray that you bless this church, bless each and every person here, and um, yeah, may your name be glorified, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.